Yeah, I'm opening a biscuit, that's all. Sorry. So Dear me, terrible timing. I'll move the biscuits away from me. What biscuits have you got out of interest? Foxes, crunch creams. Oh, quality choice. That is in like the god tier of biscuits, no doubt about it. I'm thinking they're the ones with the, the panda going foxes biscuits, that advert. And if they are the ones I'm thinking of, they are unbelievable. I do not want to take a photo that. of them and send it. Yeah, we could but just like, make it part of the podcast if you want. We just talk <laughs> about biscuits for 20 minutes. Right, I will start recording. Um, <laughs> Dan, um, feel free to delete the biscuit chat um, when, you, when you feel like it. Leave it, it in. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, the Swansea City podcast. I am Gitta Llewellyn and with me as usual, we have Matt Barocco and Steve Carroll. How are you both? Evening. I'm good, thanks. Very good to hear. Everybody's in such a good mood these days. Swans are doing well and their recent good form continued up in Yorkshire over the weekend with uh, a three goals to one victory away at Rotherham. Uh, Steve, start off with you here. Yeah. Um, the kind of uh, the kind of victory in some ways that we've come accustomed to. Really, we um, got ourselves two goals ahead, and then you know it wasn't always pretty. It wasn't always that convincing, but we got the job done pretty comfortably in the end. Would you say? Yeah, it, it seems to be what we do, doesn't it? I mean, I was watching the first twenty minutes, thinking we haven't really got going here. We haven't done a lot. But that does seem to be a theme for us in quite a few games. So as long as we don't concede, I'm usually quite relaxed because in the end, we quite often seem to create a chance. And more often than not, our, our percentage of taking chances must be quite high because mm. you know, we invariably um, seem to take them, don't they? And quite often, they're goals where you know, they're, they're chances you wouldn't expect us to necessarily take. And that's probably what we, we saw yesterday, didn't we? I mean, it was a lovely move for that. First goal, wasn't it? That was finished with a stunning uh, shot by Conor Hurahan. And then really with um, with the second goal, it didn't really seem like much of a chance. But you know, it's come out to Grimes. I wouldn't have expected him to hit it, really. But he has, and, and what a strike it was. So, you know, Rotherham would probably feel like uh, it was a, a closest game that was, where um, there wasn't much in it. And next thing you know, they're 2-0 down, just because obviously we've, uh, we've hit two brilliant strikes. So... Yeah, it just seems to be um, what we do. And then once we go in front, our record is sublime, really. We don't tend to let it slip. So, yeah, that was really how I, I saw it. We we didn't play brilliantly, but it doesn't seem to matter anymore. We seem to find a way. Professional and uh, efficient were the two words that I described the uh, the first half at uh, Rotherham uh, on Saturday, Matt. And it, like, like Matt said, uh, like Steve said there, sorry, so often this season we've seen that the Swans basically are, you know, quite evenly matched uh, in the opening stages. But but how many times this season have we scored with our first real chance of the game? And and that's what happened again, you know, up in Yorkshire. It was just, you know, a, a very good move. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, really kick-started by Andre Ayew, playing it out to um, Conor Roberts, who's so integral to so many of our attacks. And like Steve said, working it well from from there, really. But 
I, I, Rotherham must feel like so many teams this season. They just think we've done everything right, and then suddenly they find themselves behind, and they've got a mountain to climb. And it, there must be something quite demoralising for the um, for the opposition when that happens, especially then when we go and, and make it two 0 the way we did um, on Saturday. And it just that the, I, I, this has crossed my mind. There must be so many teams this season who've come up against the Swans and thought. They're nothing special, really. I, I, you know, we were, you know, we weren't too far off their level today, but but we've just been done by, you know, the more clinical edge. Um, and I guess there's something to be said for that because when it happens so often, there must be some kind of, you know, there, there must be something behind it. It's not, it's not just pure luck that we keep on <laughs> taking basically the first chance we get in games. There is that. I think you're you're right. And 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 with reference to the first goal, I have to um, make a point because I'm quite a vocal, or I have been in the past, quite a vocal cr- critic. I take it back a couple a phase or so before uh, you got the ball and mentioned Matt Grimes, who won two tackles. He probably didn't have any right to win in the centre of the park to win the ball to give it IU and to give it to IU, and he follows that up with a stunning goal himself. But that for me was possibly the most impressive part because obviously with the attack in midfield we had um we we, we played we, we set up against Rotherham it was down to him then not a Corey Smith not a Jay Fulton um we already know he's put in the most tackles in the division but he had to be the real dog of midfield as well he had to be Harry and he had to be uh, doing all that 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 donkey work and he did it exemplary um the, the the point you were making about um, our performance levels and and not necessarily playing teams off the park is so valid, but I come to look at it from a different point of view. In that we're doing enough to win games. Um, we had a two goal lead, then we thought right, okay, we don't really concede, so we were happy just to play that game out. Then Rotherham scored, and we go up the other end and get the third just to kill it. And again. We never really got out of second gear, so we're not really running ourselves into the ground. And I can't remember the last time we did run ourselves into the ground and and and, and really like, you know, grind out a game that we ended up winning. Um, you could look at the likes of uh, Brentford, uh, the, the game before, uh, a game which we had to grind out to get anything from the game. But in the games we win, we seem to have that element of control, as you say. Um, the professionalism is there. That if there is a threat that we don't get the win, then we just seem to just turn it up a notch. Uh, the substitution of Jay Fulton, inspired, freak, coincidence, or whatever, the luck of, of, of a manager's decision, whatever, his first touch is a stunning pirouette finish. Um, it, it, it just, everything seems to be turning to gold. And, uh, of course, when you're 2-0 up, you don't need to, you know, you don't need to bust a lung to, to, to keep scoring like uh, like like Brentford did against um, Wickham on the weekend. It's all great then, you know, knocking in seven goals and being a showy kind of, wow, look at them. Um, but it's it's points on the table that they count first and foremost. And we just keep being consistently getting the points, keep winning games, picking up points. If we can't win games, make sure we don't lose them. And... Um, as I said a couple of minutes ago, never really having to get out of that second gear, just controlling. Um, the defence is as good as uh, I've seen in my lifetime. And, and, and uh, I go back to the, the, the Smith bound. It's probably one of the best defences under um, uh, that John Hollins era. Um, we've had a few <laughs> in our time. We've been blessed. But um, yes, 
for for me personally, this defence is 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 as good as anything I've ever seen. So we can score the goals. Yes, we do have a clinical edge, and Rotherham will feel hard done by. I was actually watching the um, or listening to the Rotherham commentary, and they were saying in the second half they didn't feel too disheartened because. They, get, they did praise us and say, look, we are where we are for a reason. And they've come up against a quality outfit and they've conceded three goals of Premier League quality, which I don't think anyone can dispute. Um, but they said that Rotherham you know, played their part. Again, I don't think many people can dispute that. It's just that we are doing just all we need to do. Because at the end of the day, if we win 1-0 or 7-0, then we just get three points. And uh, if we keep doing that, then you know it's 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 great because it just means that without overstretching ourselves, the players can stay that just a little bit fresher and 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 just plough on and 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 keep the uh, our best players fit and firing on the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. And Steve Matt there raised the point. I mean, Rotherham came out in the second half rejuvenated. They made some really progressive substitutions, uh, changed the game, and Freddie Ladapo who who really had a, a, a big impact actually when he came on, got got the goal. Um, so we, we saw two firsts really. One, well, not first, but, you know, abnormalities then. One of them was um, Ladapo scored from a header, only the second time that uh, uh, the Swans have conceded from a header this season after Tarek Fosu did it for Brentford in the previous match. Um, but secondly, the Swans went on to score three goals in a league game for the first time this season. Um, and the fact that the two of them were so close together, I mean, goes really to reinforce Matt's point, doesn't it? That, you know, we were we were happy to hold on until, oh, we, we conceded. And then suddenly we said, OK, that's no problem. We'll just um, we'll just go and score another one and, you know, reinstate that two goal lead and, and we'll be comfortable again. Yeah, I think uh, you're right, really. Um, I mean, you look at the goal, there wasn't a great goal to concede. I mean, it's, we don't tend to concede too many soft goals, really, but it, it was one, obviously, the long throws come in. I think it came off, um, they come off Bidwell, I think. And then Roberts maybe was slightly sleeping. It's rare for him to get out jumped, but it was a good header. Um, and then you are worrying a bit, to be honest. I thought Rotherham were playing quite well at that stage and they were the better side. They created a few chances. But again, I mean, we just seem to be the masters of scoring against the run of play. I mean, I look back at um, the Brentford game, obviously, the other day, they were all over us. And then we, after they've scored, we, we've nicked a goal to get in it. The Barnsley game, I would say, the the first goal was was against the um, the run of play, and then you look at there's probably been other games as well. QPR, I was thinking of around Boxing Day time. Yeah, Our first attack was on the stroke of half time, wasn't it? And we got a goal there, and QPR had, had numerous chances. So we just seem to be brilliant at it. And it must be so demoralising for the opposition, really, as you say earlier. But I mean, again, it was um, a lovely uh, goal. Bidwell struck it in, and I didn't think Fulton had that type of. Uh, Flick, fishing, uh, flick finishing him, to be honest with you. Um, and when he came on, I was thinking more about him trying to, you know, make sure we can protect the lead. But for him to chip in with a goal is a bonus. And after that, really, I don't think we were in um, in any danger. So, no, for us to get three in a game, that is encouraging. I mean, we got five in the cup last week. But in the league, we, we haven't managed to um, score more than two. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's nice. And especially considering we didn't create a great deal of chances. But again, we... We just seem to be uh, clinical, really, don't we? So it is encouraging to think that we don't have to create much. And even if we don't, there's still a fair chance we'll be able to take uh, one of the opportunities, at least. And um, one of the real 
you know, key features of the match was the fact that the Swans, well, first of all, all three goals came from midfield, uh, which is quite a rarity considering, you know, the fact that midfield hasn't really been contributing that much in the way of goals um, so far this season. Perhaps a sign that things are changing there. Maybe the addition of Conor Horahan is making us a bit more attack-minded in general in midfield. Matt Grimes certainly on a scoring streak at the moment. Um, but also, there were three very good goals, very different goals in, in certain ways, but all of them, you know, brilliant in their own ways. And we asked you, the listeners, um, to vote, actually, which was your favourite goal? Not necessarily the best one. Well, it may have been the best in your eyes, may have just been one you enjoyed most. But um, we asked you which of the uh, three goals was your favourite. In third place, it was reasonably tight. In third place, with 27.7% of the vote, was the first one for Conor Horahan, shot from the edge of the area, which perfectly picked out the bottom corner. Uh, second, with 32.2% of the vote, just less than a third, was Jay Fulton's finish at the end of a flowing move. Uh, but top, with 40.1%, was uh, Captain Matt Grimes's half volley. Um, well, we'll start with you, Matt. I'll ask you to which was which was your personal favourite, Matt. You go first. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you put it out there. Actually, you suggested that, Paul, because it was quite uh, it was quite a nice one to think of. My actual favourite, well, it goes to show. My actual favourite was the one that finished third in the poll, which was the was the Horahan effort because um, of of what we discussed earlier. It was the idea that we we, we fought dog would need to win it back. Uh, in midfield, then it was the uh, the flow in attacking move, um, the work by Jamal Lowe on the far post after Roberts did so well to keep it in play and get the cross in, and and the the idea of Jan Tandra, and I've watched it about twenty times back, and he he never actually looks directly at Conor Horahan in that passage of play, but when the ball comes back, he calls for the pass, and as soon as it comes back to him, the layoff is stunning, the technique on the finish is just. Awesome. I just I just love the fact that he, he struck that ball with no backlift at all and it's arrowed into the corner. And I think what helps my decision is the camera angle, obviously being in the stand on the near side, was perfect to see that ball arrow in. And um it may be a little bit biased because I, I, I really, really do love the fact that we've got Horahan on loan for the rest of the season and, and fingers crossed all being well there may be something in it for the future for us uh, to do something permanently as well but um, yeah I, I just loved everything about that goal credit to Matt Grimes it was a bit more of a outstanding finish as opposed to a great goal and and Jay Fulton was um, was 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 just a, a, a superb finish as well Um which, which actually he 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 has done a couple of them previously. He's he's getting a little bit of form for uh, for scoring the spectacular um, on the rare occasions he does score. But um, no, for me, for the all round goal, the build up, the 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 thought of Danda just to play it in the path and this stupendous finish, uh, Horahan got my vote. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Danda there because um, I I think a lot of players in his position would have just gone for goal there um, instead of laying it off. And I thought, you know, that that was quite a good decision from his part and um, played a big part in the goal. Looked very simple, but just that key decision to lay it off instead of going for the strike made all the difference. Um, Steve, are you in agreement with Matt or do you have another favourite? Uh, my favourite was the Grimes one, partly because it was so unexpected, but it was such a... A brilliant strike, really. Um, you can't argue this. Probably was, it could be the best goal that we've uh, we scored this season. It was such a, a stunning hit 
Um, I think it, he probably couldn't hit it that sweetly again if he tried. But um, yeah, I'd go with, uh, go with the grime strike, I think. I'm going to agree with you, Steve. Um, I'm a sucker for that that sweet strike and, you know, hitting it first time on the half volley, curling as well into the bottom corner the way it did. Um, yeah, it's it's re- it's a real, like, avid kind of moment. It's just, it's primal. It's just that sheer, like, just kick it first time and, and see where it goes. And um, it wasn't as intricate. Um uh, or, uh, it didn't have probably the finesse of um, you know the 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 other goals, but there's just something so beautiful about seeing just somebody stick his laces through that that ball, and just seeing it fly into the bottom corner um, came out of absolutely nowhere, and I, I think that that just about narrowly shaves it for me uh, ahead of the others. But it's you know they were three absolutely fantastic goals, brilliant in their own ways, all of them from midfield. Um, and yeah, it it, it was um, probably the most memorable thing from a game because if I'm being honest, other than the goals, it wasn't really that remarkable a match, which I guess you could say for a lot of um, Swansea's games this season, but it just kept us the charge at the top of the table. Uh, you know, we saw, like you like said earlier, Brentford pick up a very uh, emphatic win uh, against Wickham, 7-2. You know, they keep chugging along. You know the Swans are still there. A lot of talk has been going on about Brentford's great run was in our seventeen matches unbeaten. Uh, I think I did the maths the other day. The Swans have only picked up three fewer points in that time than Brentford. So as fantastic as Brentford's run is, you know we're sticking in there. We are just ticking over nicely, and it's not always pretty. It's not always that 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 even enjoyable to watch, if I'm being honest. Sometimes we rely heavily on luck. Sometimes we really have to grind it out. Um, but but we just we just found a way of winning. And so often you see teams go up just simply based on that, just because they found the system that just churns out the wins and it and it's effective and it it gets teams up. That mentality at the moment, boys, is quite clear to see. We we just feel very, very confident in what we're doing and very, very comfortable in what we're doing. And, I mean, Matt, that, that, that makes such a difference, doesn't it, that you have that, that, that strong mentality that you just assume almost that you're, at the very least, not going to lose when you go up against a team like uh, Rotherham. And chances are that you're going to win. Yeah, it's, it's so much for me that it almost reminds me of that, you know, Mourinho-Chelsea in that you've got a, a team there that's built to set up to not concede to make sure that we, first and foremost, we're going to be very hard to score against. And you also give yourself a bit of licence then with your full-backs to, to try and create at the other end of the pitch. And, um, and, and and that's what we're seeing. You've got some you know stunning players in the, in the final third that can change the game on an instant. But for, the, the stars of the show for me are always going to be that back five or six, if you include Woodman, that... Um, just mean that we don't lose, so it's up to the opposition. Then, if we, if, or the opposition, the the forward players, to say just just grab one or or grab two if you can, because we're not going to concede this end. We're just going to keep it tight and make sure that they don't win any aerial balls. They don't they don't get any knockdowns, anything like that. We're just going to make sure that um, we keep it tight and we can go the other end and and do the business. Um, it is is such a good feeling to know. Uh, we talked about it in the last couple of podcasts. In that, when we take the lead, it does feel like oh that you know that that might be it. You know, it doesn't. It, you don't feel very much like 
the opposition are going to uh, create a great deal, or or if they do, that we're going to see it out anyway. Um, you know, there, there are moments of of that can change games, like um, you know, uh, Mark Gehi's block. I think that was uh, against Brentford the other day, which was just how on earth it didn't end up in the back of the net. I don't know, but it's things like that. You've got players there who will do everything to stop that. It's a pride of it, isn't it? There's the pride of the defence to not concede. And I like that. I like the fact that we just, we, we feel like as a unit, as a team, because the attackers are involved in our defending as well, that we are so um, important to make sure we don't concede. And, and that gives us a platform to win games. And it's nice. It's nice to see. I mean, the goal against Brentford came from a midfielder. The three goals this uh, against um, Rotherham came from midfielders. A few of the goals against Forest in the Cup came from midfielders. So when you consider all things considered, uh, <laughs> sorry to repeat myself, uh, you've got um, them chipping in. We were talking earlier in the season that someone has to take the burden off Andre Ayew. And then Jamal Lowe started scoring. We're thinking, thank goodness for that. Now Andre Ayew isn't our only source of goals. Uh, now the midfielders are taking the burden off low. It's it's lovely to see that there's less of a target. I think we saw a few months ago teams doubling up on Andreu because he was our main goal threat. They're trying to suffocate him out of the game, knowing they haven't really got much else going on. If we can keep Andreu quiet, Swansea don't really tick. Then Jamal Lowe started firing. Now we got these goals coming from midfield. Now there's a lot more happening. Now there's a th- real threat all over the opposition half now where you can say, you know, and we've got long-range goals to add to that as well now. So it's exciting. It's good to see. And it, it does really bode well for the long-term success or at least the success of this season because teams that win leagues and get promoted, they, they tend to be built on strong, resolute defences, first and foremost. And that's something we definitely have. Yep. And uh, Steve, we saw that in the uh, previous game this week uh, against Brentford, where I mean, it was very different to the Rotherham game, I think it's fair to say. Uh, a real onslaught from the Bees in, in an absolute massive game. 21 shots they had, the most that we have faced in, uh, in, in, a, in a competitive fixture since we lost 3-2 to Man City. Let's go back to that that massive game then. How did you rate the Swans' performance then? Because obviously it was important that the Swans got a win of Rotherham after the draw against Brentford. Um, because more than anything, I think they needed to kind of show that they weren't too downhearted after that. Because I'll be honest, I thought it was it was a real struggle for us uh, for most of that game. Yeah, it was a struggle. I What I didn't like really was our mentality. I felt that we went into it set up really to make sure that no matter what happened that we we didn't lose now don't get me wrong a defeat would have been a bad result and I definitely would have taken a draw before the game but at the same time I mean we've only had two shots in the 90 minutes like we didn't need to be that cautious we did just sit quite deep really and just wait for Brentford to come on to us I mean we're above them in the league I don't think there was a need for us to be that extreme now if we'd had the view of Okay, we won't um, press the ball so much in the opposition's half, and we will look to play on the break. I could sort of accept that, but it didn't really even feel like um, we were looking to play on the break. Now, don't get me wrong; I am really pleased that we we didn't lose the game, but at the same time, I I do think we were quite lucky. Um, you know, the goal had been coming for a long time. Obviously, Norton was quite foolish getting himself sent off for 
a silly second yellow. Um, and then you could argue with um, our equaliser that there was a foul on the goalkeeper as well. So I do think we were a little bit lucky. I will take it, don't get me wrong, but I don't want to see us setting up like that again. If we do, then I think we'd be very lucky to get away with it. So, yeah, I'll take the result. But um, how we got it did leave a few things to be desired. Matt, what's your take on this? Do do we, you know, just show Brentford too much respect and, and, you know, set up to defend or... Were we kind of forced to do that? Because there's no doubt about it, Brentford were, were very, very good. They are an excellent team. I think they're probably favourites. Well, they are Bucky's favourites um, to, to beat us to the second automatic promotion spot. Um, so w- was it a case of us kind of showing them too much respect or, or did they force us to play that way? I think that there's probably an element of truth in both those statements. I think they were very... Um, positive Brentford and they did push us and make sure we didn't have any time on the ball um, I don't think we did a great deal with it when we got it I, I do take that point from Steve um, and there was a lot of respect shown from us to them uh, which was a little bit unexpected given that um, you know we, we, we were very much in the position where we could have you know created that that daylight and made sure that their game in hand wouldn't put them above us. But at the same time, it paid off. I know it's it's bizarre to think that it was a it was a tactic per se because you you know you go down to ten men and then you concede ninety nine times out of hundred that's game over. And, and and as Steve said, the manner in which the equaliser came, I'd be fuming if an opposition player scored against us uh, with with footage showing someone challenging the keeper, arms out, and yeah, I thought it was a foul. I, you'll be honest, I thought it was a foul on the goalkeeper, but you know the ref didn't, and that's all that matters. But um, this, this is actually the most Sw- uh, Swansea City fans I have seen acknowledging that that was a foul since it actually happened. I've kept quiet about this because I was like. Okay, nobody's talking about it, but yeah, look it, at it was. It, it, well, it was, I think at first glance, I didn't realise it was. Then someone put a no. photo up the following day of an elbow, and I was like, "Oh, okay, maybe it is a foul." Then. But it if you was, if you there wasn't much focus on it at the time because I think we were just celebrating the fact that it is somehow that we were somehow equal again and that we were level. But yeah, when you look back the replay, you can see. I mean, Bidwell jumps, doesn't get the ball, but does get a chunk of of David Reyes' um, jaw. I'm not sure if it would have made any kind of difference to the eventual outcome, but that's not really the issue. He did yeah, still lead with the arm and, and caught him. And I think this is what I was going to jump in on with Steve there, is if you take the still at face value, you have to ask that question, Gitto, would it made a difference? You know, is Ray, I just missed the ball. But if you watch the footage back, and I, I did watch it back, because I wanted to, I do like to feel, particularly with Thomas Frank, that we might have done one over on him. And I do like to feel that way. And <laughs> if I watch it back, Reyes is heading directly for the flight of that ball and then Bidwell collides with him and his you can see his body pirouette in the air as Bidwell clashes with him. So he's been knocked off course uh, with the ball a couple of yards away from him flying through the air. So, yeah, for me, it absolutely makes a, a difference in that he's knocked him off his course without connecting with the ball. So, um, you know, I, I think... It does make if if Bidwell doesn't clash with the keeper, he, he makes that punch, and um, I wouldn't have had any grumbles if it got disallowed. Having said that, it did provide what may well be the photo of the year already, 
Um, you must have seen this, gents. It looks like a montage, a collage of uh, a collage of individual photos put into one photo. Uh, the, the celebration for Hurahan. It just is the most ridiculously uh, aesthetically pleasing photo um, that that I've seen in a long, long time. Uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, I, I make no shame in plugging. Uh, Stuart James uh, is Twitter feed. He's um, he's a fantastic journalist and uh, and talks very very kindly of the Swans as well. So um, check out his feed. Go back a few days to the Brentford night. He talks about that photo and he's he's tagged it on there as well. So um, fantastic photo. It's just uh, you know, Gitto. You I'm sure you've seen the photo. Beautiful. It just epitomizes everything we love about this team at the moment. The unity. The belief and and the fact that they just really look like they enjoy each other's company. Uh, it's 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 like a Renaissance um, painting. It's it's beautiful. It's just uh, there's so much going on there. It's it's unbelievable. It's fantastic. And um, the photographer I think is called um, Kieran McManus. Um, I think he got the credit um, afterwards. It's it's perfect. The timing on it. That the you know the the positioning. Everything about it is just stunning. And and it. It's it's one of those photos that people say, oh, what's your favourite sporting photo? It's one of those that I think a lot of Swansea fans could now turn to and say, do you know what, that, that's that's right up there. Um, it's it's absolutely beautiful. Um, and like you said, it, it came from, I mean, just the luckiest of goals, not only the way it was scored and the fact that the, the, it was possibly a cross that, that just happened to go in, the fact that there's a, what I think is quite a clear foul when you look at the replays, even though it's difficult to spot at the time, possibly, um, by Bidwell on Raya. Uh, and, and more than anything, Steve, the fact that it came, you know, a, a totally against the run of play. I'll, I'll be honest, when, I mean, Norton got sent off, like you said, really stupidly. I, we expect better from um, the most experienced player on the pitch, really. Two really stupid fouls. Um, and, and, his first foul in particular, I think, summed up the mood uh, among too many of the Swansea players on the night. It was nervy. Brentford just booted a long ball upfield and he panicked uh, and he dragged down Ivan Tony way off the ball, even though Tony was never going to get to that ball. And we saw a lot of these kind of cynical fouls that, that weren't, you know, they weren't clever, they weren't coy, um, they, they, were off, they often weren't that necessary. They were just born out of panic really and I just think there was a nerviness throughout the side that I, I haven't seen from the Swans again in the other big games that they've played this season when we played Brentford previously away at Norwich uh, Reading Watford even you know the defensive display against Bournemouth we were much more composed and, and had much more of an assurance about this than we did in this game and I just felt like on the ball anyway the occasion may have got to too many of our players uh, against Brentford. Yeah, I mean, it, it may have done. Um, you know, like you say, Norton, he really should have known better, really, shouldn't he? I mean, he's an experienced player. He's played, you know, God knows how many games, you know, a lot of them in the Premier League, and he shouldn't be making decisions like that. I mean, if I'm honest, I was quite surprised that he started and that Bennett was on the bench. That was a decision I, I couldn't really get my head around. To be honest, I mean, Bennett is a player that, if he's fit, he's in the team, as far as I'm concerned, especially for a game as big as this. So that was a bit of a surprising one. I mean, yeah, the, a lot of our players, I suppose, we, we do have a lot of youngsters. And 
yeah, the, the pressure sometimes can maybe it does get to them. I, I don't know, but we, we probably didn't play as well as we can. But I do think the mentality was was a big thing as well. I I didn't like the way that we set up. We did set up in a similar sort of way against Bournemouth, didn't we? Uh, and they were a side around us as well. So it does concern me a little bit that if we're going against a side that the manager fears that we this is going to be the way that we're going to go. So. It'll be interesting to see what happens on uh, on Friday night because obviously we're playing against a side that's above us, the only team that's above us right now. So are we going to see a similar sort of approach? And again, how are the players going to react to it? Um, as you say, that'll be uh, interesting, I think, given what we saw on uh, Wednesday night. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Matt, I mean, final note on this. I mean, we've we've had a discussion about the way the Swans played on the with the ball. Um, but defensively, I mean, it, it was another fantastic performance under real, real pressure, um, non-stop basically from from Brentford. Like I said earlier, twenty-one shots faced, the most we've we've faced for nearly two years now. Um, but only one goal conceded, and and you know, so much of that credit has to go to the defence and to and to Freddie Woodman because when when Brentford did get get past our defense as they did with uh, Josh De Silva one on one against Woodman he he stood up strong and 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 made the saves again and it's it's that thing that we keep on talking about this season that defense just gives us a chance of getting points from games even when we're not at our best it does it is a platform we build from it is such a i, I say that if a few minutes ago it's such an important element to what we do um and Brentford will come away from that and and fans will come away from that and think we'd have won that game nine times out of ten that's a freak result that's okay to say in isolation um because the stats suggest that that might well be the case but it's not an it's not an anomaly you know for us to look like we, we, we're getting battered, the opposition are all in our faces, whatever, but we stay strong. We stay resolute. So there's a lot to be said for how we defend as a unit and as a team. Um, you know, It looked like the right thing was on the wall after they scored when we already had 10 men. But um, you know, we did what we had to do. But the defending through the whole game was, was desperate at times, but it, it kept the ball out of the net and it made sure that what is possibly the most dangerous and exciting team to watch attacking wise in the division we we kept to to one goal which was which was a header at the end of the day which is perhaps not what you expected if you watched the 90 minutes you'd have expected them to score one of their free flowing attacking moves but no we did um we did the bit of the dark arts as well i know you mentioned it a few minutes ago i I don't know whether I was pleasantly surprised or just downright shocked at some of the challenges we were putting in. <laughs> I'd have called us dirty bastards if I was yeah. if we were playing against us because, um, yeah, I was watching some of the challenges that were going in. And players, we were just, like you say, not, not even, I, Ivan Tony. I feel there was a bit of a... It was a stupid challenge from Norton, but I think a little bit of Tony chucking himself down there because he also knows he's never getting to that ball. But if he throws himself to the ground under contact, then he's got a chance of uh, getting Norton into big trouble. Um, so a little bit there. But some of the challenges, I think I think Fulton jumped in almost knee-height on one player, just just hurled himself at a player. I, get think himself that was on, in. I think that was on Ivan Tony again. The second half of Fulton was extremely <laughs> lucky not to get a yellow in the first half. So he, he kind of knew at the, by by the second half, do you know what? I'm going to pick up a yellow card. Get a yellow card. 
I might have found really... it worth my while. And he, I, I've I've said before, like I, if I had my way with the rules, that would be a red card for me because I don't understand. Football's a strange game. You can get a red card for basically just touching somebody's face, but you full blown kick somebody off the ball with no attempt to win the ball, and that's only a yellow. It just does not make sense. Like that, that for me is violent conduct because. You're not trying to win the ball. You're just trying to kick the player, and that's that's what Fulton did. But you know, it it was that kind of game. And like you said, I I thought we were we were dirty as hell against Brentford. Yeah, it was. It was just one of those things where I was watching it going. I think I messaged my uh, my dad during the game and said, "I think we may have earned a couple of these yellow cards tonight." So often when you watch the Swans over the last 10, 15 years, you've seen the opposition foul and foul and foul again. And then the first time a Swans player puts a boot in, yellow card. And you're thinking, for fuck's sake, how is it every time we put a foul in, we get booked and the opposition can kick and kick and kick and the ref's giving a talking to? But no, I have no complaints about any of the decisions really uh, against Brentford. I thought every yellow card was fully deserved and... Um, goes back to something I've believed for a long time. If you're going to get booked, at least make sure you deserve it. Because some of the times players hurl themselves to the ground and you pick up a bucket and you think, oh, you've put me on a difficult position here now without actually warranting it. But no, absolutely warranted every one of those for me. I thought it was um, a new way of playing, perhaps a, a very uh, interesting approach. But uh, we certainly weren't going to let Brent, Brentford have an easy ride. Interesting is a is a very polite way of putting it. If if I was a neutral or an opposition fan, I would hate the Swans right now. <laughs> you know, obviously, it's great when it's your team doing it, but but if I was a neutral now, just watching the Swans from the outside, I think, man, they're a horrible team. They are absolutely horrible. Um, but you always have these kind of teams every single year, and we are that team this year. Um, Steve, final final word. I thought Mark he was absolutely fantastic again. Cabango was brilliant too, um, both them defensively excellent. But Gay just on the ball is fantastic. On a night when everybody else seemed to be losing their heads and making poor decisions, looked to be losing their just, just doing the wrong thing all the time. He was the one that had looked composed. Um, very rarely made a mistake, um, was trying to move the team forward. And I, every time I see him, I just think, one, we're extremely lucky to have him. But two, that there isn't, that there's no debate. He is the best centre-back in this division, isn't he? Oh, he, he is unbelievable. I mean, you wouldn't believe that we'd be saying this uh, a year ago, would you, when he first came in? But he's just stepped up so much. I mean... The timing of his challenges, for example, and, and decision-making in terms of when to make a challenge, he's just superb. He very rarely seems to make a mistake. He seems to smell the danger. He always puts him, like I said, that block that he, he had against Brentford, um, like I say, on the ball. He's, he's he's barely got a weakness, has he? Uh, he really is just fantastic. I'm, I think long-term he could honestly play for Chelsea, like in the first team, like as a regular. That wouldn't surprise me. But um, if we go up, I am hoping they might say, oh, yeah, you can have another year. Because I do think that another year um, playing regularly for somebody in the Premier League next season would be uh, brilliant for him. And if it was with us, obviously, that would be fantastic. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm full of praise for him. He's, uh, he's fantastic, isn't he? He is absolutely incredible. I, I'm I'm in agreement with you. Uh, I know Frank Lampard has gone from Chelsea now and he was uh, really pushing to bring through youth players. Um, we'll have to see what Thomas Tuchel has to say about it, but 
when you look at what Gay does week in, week out, you're thinking this boy's destined for greatness. Um, we'll move on now from uh, the matches uh, that we've played against Brentford and Rotherham. Four points from those two games. I think we would have all taken that result uh, if offered it beforehand. Um, we are in the final stages of the January transfer window. Um, Steve, it's, it's a window in which... From my point of view, we've we've been more active than I expected us to, um, but we may not be done yet. Two names that, at the time of recording, are quite are possibly in the pipeline for moves. One of them looking more likely than the other. We're thinking um, the one looking most likely is Morgan Whitaker from Derby, uh, a player who I believe Steve Cooper has um, had uh, has worked with in the past. Um, and when we do get players who he's worked with uh, in the past, they, they tend to work out well for us, don't they? Yeah, they do. Um, his Obviously, his goal-scoring record doesn't look brilliant. I think it's one goal in, in 25 games. Um, I did read a few threads on Twitter, and they weren't very encouraging about him. But, you know, every, everybody deserves a chance, don't they? He's only a young player. Um, I don't think he'd be coming here and, and playing regularly to start with, at least. But... Um, like I said, Cooper's transfer record has been very, very good so far. There's not been many misses. So if it's a player that he wants, as far as I'm concerned, as long as the finances are reasonable, then we, we go with it because um, he's earned that trust. So that's really where we have to um, to look at it. I don't think we are desperate for a striker at this stage, but I suppose we have now picked up a couple of injuries and we with Liam Cullen and Wayne Routledge. So I can understand why we might want to go down this route. So... Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we have to back the manager if that's what he wants. Uh, Matt, £700,000, I think, is the reported fee. Um, I, I believe it's been, well, it's reported that um, Derby are uh, going to accept our uh, our bid. Um, I mean, not many clubs in the Championship are spending £700,000 um, these days. Um, but, I, well... Are you, are you surprised that we're spending money in this window? We've already brought in the likes of Horahan, Ben Hamer and, and um, Jordan Morris. OK, we didn't pay any fees for any of those, but, um, you know, they add to the wage bill. And now we're, we're willing to spend um, £700,000 on, on, on a very young striker. Did you expect this before the window started? It's not something I expected, but it is something that I think we've discussed previously uh when we well, when we got relegated, really was was a case of if we're in a position in January to get promotion, let's back the manager because you know, uh, you know, half a million and a million there could make the difference and could see you over the line. So um, it's it's one of those ones where you think, look, you don't know how much game time he's realistically going to get. He's a young striker, but we've got plenty of young players in the team. Looks like he may be providing a backup for for like as 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 Steve said, like so Cullen and Routledge which just picked up injuries and those players. If he's replacing them, then they were very much squad players at the time of the injuries anyway. So if he's filling that void, then then you know we got something to see. It's it's it seems a lot of money for us to spend at the moment. But I've heard mixed reports. There's people, uh, fans of Derby that have said. You know, this is the worst player I've ever seen. You know, he doesn't he doesn't look like he stands any chance of being a footballer long term because he doesn't know his way around a football pitch. And I've got others that have said seven hundred grand seems very, very cheap for a um under twenty international who they think has lots of potential, needs a bit more game time, and has at was he twenty years old? You know, he's got 
a lot of potential to go on and make something of himself. And if someone touted the, the figure, you know, they'd have, they'd have rather them held on for something like two million because they valued him at that. But it's it's varied opinions. I think a lot of them were basing him on what they'd seen for Derby. And others were looking at it and saying, well, no, this is a product uh, of potential here. And we're buying him for our registration for the future. So so potentially there we've got ourselves a bargain. Now, I hope it turns out that way. Um, but I don't expect him to come in and 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 and, and take the starting spot or anything like that. I, I expect he will be filling um, filling a gap left by Cullen and Routledge. And uh, what we what we didn't mention, of course, when we were talking about the Rotherham game, is we saw uh, eight nine minutes of of Jordan Morris as well, who put himself about nicely. So he's another option we've got up up top. Um, Hope he gets more minutes, uh, as we discussed in last, last week's pod, and, and gets a bit of a chance to really stretch his legs and show us what he's about. So there's a peck in order, and I think that it's important that we um, understand that it's clear that AO and Low, it's their position to lose, and correctly so. Uh, we have players waiting in the wings if, if there is a need for injuries, suspensions, or just tired legs. Um, that we want to freshen things up. Jordan Morris would be the next in line there at the moment, and uh, and 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 then this youngster from Derby. So I think it's it's one with the eye to the future, isn't it? But it's another one, you know, off the um, off the production line of Steve Cooper's under twenty squad. Uh, I think we're just about there now. All we need to do is sign Phil Foden and Jaden Sancho, and we've completed the set. Well, I'm sure they'll be interested in the move. Uh, you know, <laughs> we've still got a bit of time left in the transfer window. Um, Steve, the only other name that we seem to be getting seriously linked with at the moment is uh, a player called Paul Ariola. Uh, we're clearly looking to the MLS for options at the moment. Um, American international uh, plays for DC United as a right back. Um, this one seems a, a little bit further off than the Whitaker one. Not sure if this one's going to come off or not, but. I mean, regardless of whether it does come off or not, we, we seem to be well, we're quite clearly interested and and have been discussing it. Um, I wouldn't have personally said that a right back um, was was a priority for the Swans. Um, would would you have thought that too? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, we've got Colin Roberts, who's in the form of his life. You know, he doesn't even seem to need a rest; he just keeps going, doesn't he? So. You know, if he's fit, he's going to play. And then we've got Kyle Norton as as the backup, haven't we? So, yeah, from my point of view, I I don't think we uh, we need a right back at all. I think uh, as long as everything goes to plan, we're we're pretty solid in that position. So I am quite surprised to see us linked with one. I mean, well, uh, time will tell whether the deal gets done or not. But um, yeah, I I don't think it's a priority from uh, you know our point of view. I think we're in we're in a good position in that area. Yeah, that, that's how I see it. Joe Latibodia apparently can uh, can play as a right back too. So I'd say we're pretty well covered in that department, really. Um, but there we go. We'll we'll wait and see what happens in the uh, final twenty four hours of the window. Um, let, let's now talk about possibly one of Swansea's greatest ever signings, um, who has retired this week. Um, the word legend gets thrown about a lot, but for me. This man is one of the absolute great legends uh, of this football club. A man who joined us in League One, uh, led us to, well, had enjoyed two promotions with the Swans, captained us in the Premier League, barely ever uh, missed a match. An absolute man mountain and an incredible leader at the back. Ashley Williams has hung up his boots. 
wasn't a major surprise, Matt. Um, I mean, he's been without the club this season. Um, so I guess it was to be expected that he would announce this at some point. But um, still, it, it, it's... Uh, it's uh, in, well, we've seen Swansea fans and Wales fans over the last week or so uh, pay their tributes to to one of our greatest ever captains. Undoubtedly, I mean, what? How do you think he's going to be remembered? He goes down as a legend, doesn't he? No doubt about it. I think, um, as you say, it gets thrown about quite easily these days. But this is a this is a man who epitomised our greatest era in my lifetime. He was. An absolute rock. We're talking about uh, this defence and uh, and how strong it is and how resolute it is. Well, this was a uh, a leader from the back. This was a man who uh, who just never knew when to quit. You know, he at one moment which I think epitomised him. I think uh, we were playing Man United at home at the Liberty, and Wayne Rooney of all people was running through on goal, and he was clear of Ashley Williams, but he never got the shot away. Ashley Williams got there and, and, and tackled him before he got the shot away. And I think that's what reminds me of Ashley Williams the most, is that this is a man who fought for everything. And he never thought that the opportunity had gone for him to do something. If there was a chance for him um, to make amends or, to, or to, to do the unthinkable, he would do everything he could to do it. He was... Um, the, the perfect you were going to build a, a centre half. You'd build an Ashley Williams anyway. He was uh, he wasn't sluggish. He was strong as an ox. He was good in the air. He was he wasn't blessed with goal scoring ability. I think he won't mind us saying that. Um, he did get a few for us, but uh, certainly wasn't uh, prolific. But um, no, he was everything, wasn't he? He you could just start with right. What's the team going to be today? Well, of course it's Ashley Williams, and then let's pick another ten. And I think that epitomised everything that was was great about him was that he was undroppable. It was no thought that Ashley Williams, get to you'll know the stats. Um, he had some fantastic, incredible run of games. I don't think he missed one in years oh. for us. Um, but uh, I don't want to put you on the spot with the actual figure because I haven't prepped you for this at all. But <laughs> I think, uh, I think no, there's certainly some incredible missed. run of form. Yeah, I think he basically missed nine Premier League games in all the years that he was playing for the Swans. And um, I think most of those were just down to him being rested uh, ahead of ahead of yeah. key games, you know, either for, for club or country. Um, but he, he, his fitness record while with the Swans was out of this world. I mean, he'd go down and you think, oh, my gosh, this looks like a really nasty one. He, you know, he could be out here. And then suddenly you get up and just play on as as if nothing had happened. I mean, the guy must have lived on painkillers. Um, he was just, he was just, he was just invincible. He was a tank. Um, at, that, at that moment, there were three or four of the big hitters in the Premier League that really should have thrown a lot of money. Because he would have done a job for me in the top in in the top four, uh, in, in his pomp when we were at our pomp, he was one of the defenders of the Premier League. He was a leader. He, he got some massive results through his uh, never say die attitude. So yeah, I, I think he he was very unlucky not to get his um, his huge move. But I think um, was it the Northern Ireland game in the Euros where he'd hurt his arm and he. Uh, refused to come off, and he saw at the last few games, uh, last few minutes of the game, looking like he couldn't move about. Um, moments like that would not know when to quit, would not know when to say, "I'm done." 
Um, I need a break. Like you say, in phenomenal run of games played for us. Um, another moment, his goal against Belgium, the, the look on his face was he's run away to celebrate that. It's just undiluted joy. Absolutely everything about it. He, he obviously didn't know what to do. He didn't score enough goals to know what to do. He just started running uh, and headed, uh, made a beeline for the bench then. And and we talked about the photo of the uh, Horahan goal against Brentford as being a special moment to remember. Um, another special moment was, is it, you, no one who is a Wales fan will forget the run and celebration for his equaliser against Belgium because I can I can envision it frame by frame in my head as he because uh, it, it's just something you've seen over and over again and it just brings you memories of that joy that the whole country felt. Um, but he was a leader for club and country and I think it's a testament to the man that there was uh, plenty of Cardiff fans as well lining up to say, you're a jack and, and everything that comes with that. But thank you for everything you did for Wales because you brought me some of the greatest moments I did, I've had following my country. And um, and that's a testament to the man and the player because he was a rock for us and for Wales. Well said. Uh, Steve, I mean, you, you were out in Lille, as was I, uh, when he had... Probably the greatest moment of, of his career, um, scoring in that match, a massive goal to, to help turn the tide in, in that quarterfinal against Belgium. Um, but, but I mean, his leadership throughout that, that run, not just during the Euros, but leading up to the Euros. I mean, he, he took over from Aaron Ramsey, who had quite clearly been out of his depth as captain, but he took over the captaincy for Wales at a time when Welsh football really had to question which direction we were going in. It, it just did not look like things were ever going to work out. Um, we looked a bit lost as a footballing nation, really, and, and it wasn't good. And he had to kind of take us through some tough times, some really, really tough times before, you know, eventually leading us on the on that incredible journey to to the semi-finals in the Euros, he was there every step of the way, every single match, um, and and he was as much a leader for Wales as he was for 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 the Swans. And the fact that kind of won his first cap when he was twenty four and retires as one of Wales's most capped players, I mean, just adds to this mystique around him, doesn't it? it his personal story, the way he came into professional football late and, and rose through the ranks, you know, got, got you know, found, as, as many English-born um, footballers do, you know, found this link to Wales, which enabled him to play international football. But few of those players embrace it the way Ashley Williams did. And, uh, you know, in the past, I think a lot of those players in Ashley Williams' situation have been accused by Wales fans of not really giving enough, of not feeling it enough. You could never, ever accuse Ashley Williams of not feeling it enough, whether he was playing for club or for country, could you? No, you couldn't. I mean, I think Ashley Williams initially did end up playing for us because he sort of realised that he could nick a cap. I think that's the famous uh, saying, really. I think it was down to Brian Flynn, if I remember rightly. I think Wayne Hennessy was on loan at Stockport and he was the under-21 manager, so I think he went to have a look at him. And I think Flynn used to look at anyone who sort of had like a well-sounding surname and obviously that's what Williams is so he sort of uh, he tried to find out then about it and I think 
if it's a coincidence, it's certain because I think it actually comes from his um, his mother's side of the family, the the Welsh link. So really, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a funny one, really. I mean, Brian Flynn has got endless stories. I'm not sure if you've ever heard the the story about how Carnu ended up playing for Wales. It's probably brilliant for an, a separate uh, podcast issue, but um, yeah, that's how it it ended up happening, really. But um, I mean, Williams was he did lead Wales through some tough times, as you say. I mean. When he got the captaincy, we'd lost Gary Speed. We'd lost six-one in Serbia. You know, we were at a low ebb. The manager's job was on the line, and um, you know, he really did play a big part for Wales. I mean, you look at the qualifying campaign. I think there were six clean sheets out of ten. I mean, that's unheard of for a Welsh team, really. Um, obviously, two shutouts against Belgium, which was superb, really, when you think about it, with the the quality of players that. Um, they had, and then, like I say, he was huge just in the tournament. That that goal against Belgium is remains one of my greatest moments. I think in football, they're certainly in there. Um, and that summer is one we'll never forget. I mean, in terms of the Swans, like I say, his record of missing hardly any games is pretty staggering. I think it was 166 league games in a row he played as well. So I think he had some sort of bug, so he missed a game at Fulham in the first year in the Prem. I remember he had a knock in the year of the Europa League around the time of. The Valencia game because I remember he didn't play in Valencia and a few of the games around there he didn't play. But other than that, as you say, there were not many games he missed. And I think he he actually missed the last two games of his final season year because he was given a break before um, the Euros. So when you look at it, four hundred thousand pound that we spent on him, it could be the greatest deal that we've ever done apart from signing maybe Leon on a free transfer. Um, pretty staggering, three hundred and fifty odd. Uh, Odd games. He was he was just so consistent, wasn't he? he would, there weren't many mistakes. I don't think there was a red card, which is quite remarkable in eight seasons for a centre half, because you know you're always likely to pick one up with possibly being the last man or, or anything like that. But that didn't happen. So yeah, um, the the phrase legend it does annoy me the amount that it gets thrown about. I think we should probably do a podcast maybe in the summer. We should discuss who is a legend and who isn't at this club, but. Um, Surely no one can disagree that Ashley Williams is one. Like from my point of view, obviously we've we've not watched uh, the entire history of the Swans, but it'd be very difficult to argue that Ashley Williams should not be in the greatest ever Swansea City eleven, given that he's, he played for us for eight years during our most successful era, was the captain, um, and really was tremendous for us. So I think that's how he he deserves to to be remembered. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the most natural leaders I have seen in football um, in in my lifetime. If, if I'm being honest, I mean, sometimes people question, or oh, the you know the value of the captaincy, etc. Does it really make a difference who's wearing the armband? I think it's fair to say that with Ashley Williams, that that armband on his on his bicep made a huge difference. He really did take on that responsibility like no one else I've ever seen do it. Both for both for Wales and and Swansea, as far as I'm concerned, um, Wales is greatest captain ever. Swansea's greatest captain ever. I, an absolutely incredible human being, and um, I mean, looking ahead to the future, I've heard talk that he may be interested in going into coaching and management. On the face of it, he would be a brilliant. Uh, he has the potential to be a brilliant coach and manager because not only was he uh, a superb defender, he was a very able footballer uh, and an absolutely incredible leader of men. So I think you know that there is a definite future for him in coaching if he wants it. 
Right, let's move on. We've had one big game against uh, a promotion candidate already this week. We're now going to look ahead to the next one. Matt Norwich, the only team above us in the table as we record this. They come down to the Liberty on Friday night. How big a match is this? It's the next biggest match of the season, isn't it? I mean, we talked last week about Brentford being the biggest match of the season. And uh, you're right. We went into that and we thought it could be an absolute barnstormer of a game. Didn't turn out that way from us, but we finished the week with four points from six. And I don't dare say that any of us would have turned that down in last week's pod had we decided what we'd have accepted from the week. But, um, you know, we've basically done everything that we can to put ourselves into a position here to make Norwich catchable. Um, They are still favourites to go up and rightly so um, but they're in a position now where a win for us against them you know brings them right back into the chase and he's catchable for three or four teams then adds to the pressure with Brentford we were the team ahead and perhaps maybe the pressure was on us to keep that lead maybe the, the situation's reversed here now Norwich know that they can't afford to lose to us if they want to keep their cushy little number at the top so I'm hoping that it doesn't play out like Brentford. I'm hoping that we take the game to them as opposed to playing such a, a, a cautious game. And and I dare say Norwich are obviously a more complete unit because of, well, the table doesn't lie at the end of the day. But I would say Brentford are a bigger threat attacking-wise. Um, and that may seem like a, a, a big statement to make. That's but a I big feel- statement. Yeah, I, I I like Norwich, and I think they are um, they, they they primed back to go straight back to the Premier League, and and, and rightly so. But I look at the way um, sometimes I see Norwich a little bit wasteful, and I see perhaps it's not with with Brentford. They almost play like um, all all out attack. You know, you see them run forward, they pour forward with numbers, and they look like any one of four or five players could score in any attack. And I think for them, that is a that's a threat that really does, you know, strike fear into a lot of teams, and rightly so. I mean, they just they just notched up seven against Wickham, as we discussed earlier on. Um, not to say that, you know, it's not impossible to do against the team right down at the bottom in this league. And and a few of those goals came late on. But they've got such a variety of options and attacking uh, wealth. And, and I feel like Norwich, um, they have more focused threats. Um, what a massive, massive loss uh, Buendia is going to be for them, by the way, um, who... We talk about AU being the standout player in this division. If there's one player who would rival that, it's him. You know, he's been touted with big moves uh, this window, um, none of which have come to fruition. However, he's you know he's suspended now for the game, and it leaves us in a great position because he is their best player uh, for me, and he is obviously their you know he's been their star man this season. He's made them tick. So. Yeah, I do feel like it's it's an opportunity for us rather than uh, a, a potential um, horrible situation for us where we can actually look to bring them into it. Um, Norwich are a fantastic team, but we can we can play against them, and hopefully we pl- I hope that we play against them and um, and and show that we've got threats ourselves because uh, we've started seeing goals come from midfield. We've obviously got the two men up front. We've got a strong bench now as well. Who knows? We may even add to that tomorrow, as we've already discussed. So um, it's a massive game. There's no, there's no getting away from it. Uh, I, it's fair to say that short of playoffs now, 
this is the biggest game between now and the end of the season because it it, it could mean that we get sucked into a race for the playoffs um, or put us in a position where we are very much in the in the automatics hunt uh, going into the last uh, into the last furlongs of the season. So uh, yeah, it's, it's big game after big game at the moment, but I um nervous again nervous excited uh let's hope that we can uh, we can perform well well that's been bigged up uh, quite significantly steve how, how how highly do you rate norwich i mean they were one of the favorites to go back um before the season started they are clear at the top of um, the the league now they've kept most of the team that um that the that got relegated from the premier league um I, do do you think this is a better Norwich team than the one which uh, which won the league two years ago? I think it's it's tough to say if it's um, if it's a better one really because it's it's more or less the same one, so it's probably at a similar level. I mean, I'm not surprised in the slightest that they are up there. I mean, they did pretty much no business last season, so I think it was quite likely they were going to come down. But by the same token, then they were not going to be under pressure to sell people. So that made me think that they'd have a very good chance of going back up, plus the fact that a lot of other clubs were going to be struggling financially. So it's probably a similar level. Um, you know, I, I do think it's going to be tough for two teams to to catch them and stop them going up automatically, if I'm honest. I think they are, a, you know, they are a good side. And um, this is going to be a very difficult um, game for us. Uh, it does leave me concerned, if I'm honest, because I... I do have a fear that we might set up in the same way as we did against Brentford. And if we do, then I think we're asking for trouble, to be honest with you. So, yeah, it's it's a big game. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's see what Friday brings, I suppose. And uh, Matt's raised it already, but Emi Buendia is going to be suspended. Picked up his second red card of the season against Middlesbrough over the weekend. I, I mean, most neutrals uh, across this league, I think, would would call him the would name him the player of the season if the award was given out today. He is a very talented midfielder, a real creator, and a goal threat. He was impressive in uh, in, in the reverse fixture earlier on the season at Carroll Road. I mean, how much does this change things for you, Steve? I think it's definitely a help. Um, I think Norwich. Obviously, I don't think they're over reliant on one player, but obviously they he's a player that if he's available, he'd be in the team without a doubt because he is a quality player and he has done a lot of damage um, against opposition sides for them this season. So it's definitely a blow for them. It's good news for us, but we need to uh, take advantage of it, obviously. I mean, hopefully they won't create as much with him not in the side, but I mean, they've got a lot of other good players, haven't they? So, you know... Um, Whilst it's good news, I'm I'm not going to get uh, carried away. I don't think. I think I'm getting a bit more excited by that than than you are. I I see that as quite a big absence for them. I think he's just he's just that player who has that X factor. You know, you look at their team; they've got tons of attacking threat. Puki up front, Francic, Cantwell, um, Poketta, the 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 Polish um, youngster. Um, and, and in fairness, they got players to come in for for um, Buendia as well. I mean, Onel Hernandez is back from injury. Um, you know, he's um, he's an option for them. But I I just think Buendia is is the best player in this division, in my opinion. 
he is just one of these players that you love to watch. He is so creative. He is so good at, at creating chances. Any team in this division would surely miss that kind of player. I mean, I, I, I can't see them being as much of a threat without him in the side. Um, and they're so used to having him in the side. He's only missed four games this season, um, three of them right at the start of the season. So, you know, after those first three games, he's only missed one due to suspension. Um, but, but the stats suggest that they are, you know, much better off with him in the team. Where their goals per game, the points per game, sorry, with Wendy on the side this season is 2.22 points per game. Without him, it's it's one point two five, so nearly half of that. Um, I just I just think even though they've got you know plenty of options to come in instead of him, he's one of those players that is just something special. And and I I don't know if it's wishful thinking, um, but I I'd love to think that that would you know get, swing things a little bit further in our in our favour. Um, with his sorry to jump in yeah, there sorry. with his. Um... He's the greatest uh, contributor to their goals assists get as well as 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 you as you well know um, with thirteen Puki has got twelve but eleven of those are goals so I mean you're looking at um, the players which rightly are you know fantastic players and great threats but looking at the top scorers list here now uh, Puki obviously out out in front with eleven Wendy is going to be missing he's got seven then you're looking at Hugel Rancic Cantwell four three. Two. So Hugel's in, in, uh, injured as well, so he's not going to be playing either. Yeah, so you, there we are. You're looking at uh, Vrancic with three goals and three assists, Cantwell with two goals and three assists. Then you're looking at Kenya McLean. These are all players that, are, apart from Cantwell, who's played 16, they've all played over uh, over 20 games this season. So um, you know, even if you take uh, even if you take Brentford seven to win out of the picture. They'd already scored, uh, quick maths, five goals more than us, played a game less. Uh, Norwich have only scored two goals more than us, but have conceded six more. So I think there's a little bit more of a reliance on a specific player for them than maybe Brentford have. And I look at that, I know, obviously, Brentford have got uh, even Tony up front, who's just been banging them in, but they have that all-round threat whereas the t- well the, the stats at least suggest the, for for Norwich that uh, they are a little bit more reliant on the final ball being given to Puki um to to stick in the back of the net usually by Buendia as well um so him missing hopefully we just hopefully be able to stick um you know Mark Gehi on Timo Puki and, and do a job on him for 90 minutes and uh, and and looking around then uh, you know there's not many more goals in their midfield than not than in ours, and we've been talking about our midfield being very dry for a long time. So um, hopefully, we can give them a good game. You said they just put Gay on Pookie to keep him quiet. I mean, we've we've talked up Gay in this <laughs> in this episode, but that that's going to be one of his biggest tests of the season. Pookie is uh, just a, a, you know one of these natural strikers. His his runner, his he times his runs to perfection. He's a finisher. Um, he is their danger man, especially now with um, Buendia off the scene as well. I've got he... a question, actually, which I'll save the answer to, or I'll save the, the conversation oh. for another podcast anyway. Um, but uh, it was uh, it was more Mark We talked to Mark Gehi a little bit earlier on and how, how instrumental he is and how he probably is, is destined for the top of the top, top few of the Premier League, um, maybe with Chelsea. And uh, I was looking at it thinking, I can't remember the last time we were blessed with players, and it, it's a conversation on the podcast. 
who is your favourite Swans player at the moment? Because you could look at it and, you, you know, there'll, there'll be people who will say, Andre, Jamal Lowe, Matt Grimes are going to shout, Hurahan's just come in and instantly, you know, won over the fans, Freddie Woodman, uh, Mark Gehi, Ryan Bennett, I've got a lot of time for, Connor Roberts. So we're blessed at the moment. We've got six or seven players in the starting lineup, which I think people will have different favourites as well. I think, like your question of what was your favourite goal on the weekend, I think who is your favourite Swans player and why is certainly a conversation we could should have on a quiet on a quiet week on this pod because um, I feel like if we put that out to the the Twitter following that we'd have quite a few responses. It's uh, we're blessed with a lot of likable, very very talented players at the moment. That discussion would take a long time. <laughs> it, re- it really would because, like you said, we've got we've got a really likable squad now. They're the kind of players that. You know, you you want that they've got the attitude that you want when you're playing for the Swans. Um, as far as I'm concerned, um, which just great to see. I mean, Steve, um, one one key difference between the Swans and uh, Norwich this week is that we don't have any games before that Friday night clash. Norwich do; they are away to Millwall uh, on Tuesday night. Do you think that that could potentially have some kind of impact on them? The fact that they are going to be playing just um was it three nights before um before they have this big um you know top of the table clash against us um it won't do us uh, any harm will it for that way i mean it's it's tough to say um 100 for sure but um i do think for us it is convenient that um we don't have a game this week because it's we have got a challenge when the last thing we'd want is uh you know a grueling midweek game and then um you know, everyone's tired, a couple of players pick up a knock or anything like that. So I do think from that point of view, it's it has worked out quite well. We can't complain on that front. No, absolutely not. Um, I think the time has come to move on to predictions. This is uh, the usual time where we put our necks on the line and usually get it wrong. Um so, I mean, it's it's a massive game at the, at the top end of the table. Norwich is currently four points ahead of the Swans. That could, of course, be extended if they uh, if they go to Millwall and pick up something. How fantastic would it be, by the way, if Millwall were to take points off, off Norwich in the run-up to that game? That would really set it up, put the pressure on the Canaries. And, in fairness, Millwall have taken points off every single one of the top six, apart from the Swans, so far this season. And they've only lost three games... Uh, at home all season, which when you consider their league position, I think they're level on points with Cardiff. So they're having a pretty torrid year um, on the whole. Um, you know, they're, they're home for they're, they they're still quite difficult to beat at home, uh, and they're capable of taking points off the top six. So um, I was going to ask you there for a prediction of Millwall against Norwich, but I'll skip that one and go straight ahead to uh, Friday night's match. Uh, Matt, you you go first. Can the Swans get what would be an absolutely massive win? Yeah, we can. I think I think that question is answered with a yes. Uh, will we is uh, all dependent on our approach. I think we need to we need to play. We do need to give Norwich respect and 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 you know not not think that it's going to be uh, easy because Wendy is not there because that's certainly not going to be the case. But also recognize the opportunity that Wendy is not there because it would be a lot tougher for us if he was. And so I think there's a massive opportunity for us to go and make a real statement um, and they'll reflect on the Brentford performance look whatever Steve Cooper says in the in in the press about you know how how we played and etc and how we, we we 
we kept Brentford quiet and he'll have had his own opinions behind closed doors and we won't hear them and, and rightly so. So as long as he accepts behind closed doors that perhaps it played out a little bit too negatively against Brentford um, and he addresses that, well, he's got a quick turnaround to do so. Uh, I would hate to be in Norwich's position if it was no bigger game on a Friday if we were playing you know if they were playing Millwall on the Tuesday and a you know a Bristol City on the Friday it would be annoying for them but to have what looks like one of the games of the season followed up so shortly after another game is a massive you know is a massive kicker for them so I think missing a player playing a game 72 hours before there there are signs there that there you know we could do it so I'm going to remain optimistic I'm going to say that we're going to, and you, neither of you are going to go with this because I think you're a little bit more uh, cautious than I, but um, I'm going to say that we'll go uh, win 1-0. One 1-0, nil. One nil, says Matt. Steve? Um, I'm going to put my tin ad on. I think Norwich are going to beat us 1-0. I fear a cautious display from us. And I think we will pay the price. I'm hoping, I don't know if this is head or heart, I'm hoping we'll see a similar display to the one that we saw at Carroll Road earlier on in the season, which was one of the best performances we've we've put in this season, um, but we didn't get the deserved result. Um, I'm hoping that that's, that's what we'll do. Uh, and and if we play like that against them, I think that I think you're both right. I think that's the way to go against Norwich because they are a brilliant side. I love watching Norwich play. They are deservedly top of the league. I think they're they're fantastic. They carry plenty of threat. They they they're going to be such a tough opposition. But they only play one way. They will always go, you know, attacking. Um, they'll always try and play football, but they will leave the odd gap at the back. You will get one or two chances, as we saw away at Carroll Road. Um, they, they've only kept two clean sheets in their 14 games away from home in all competitions this season. So t- they do tend to concede. Um, and like I think Matt said earlier, they, they do have a capa- They do have a tendency as well to waste a lot of chances. Um, they're not like us in the sense that we only need, you know, we, we take our chances and score um, with with very we win games with very few clear cut chances. Um, they they you know they they will waste a lot of chances as well as score them um, because they're that they're that prolific at creating chances. Um, I think if our defence plays the way it, it always does, and we can just find that one or two those one or two chances, I think that I think there's a chance here to win it, and I want to see us go and attack it because. We we are playing catch up with Norwich. You know they're four points ahead of us as, as things stand. Very likely that they will extend that at least by one point, probably three beforehand. We're playing catch up here. A draw in the contest of our of our relationship with Norwich probably isn't enough from this game. If if we really want to close down the um that close that gap, Norwich don't drop enough points really for us to just settle play for a draw at least. Um, I think we have to try at least to go for the win. So I'd like to see that attitude. And if we do play with that attitude, I think we've got a chance. So I'm going to be optimistic and say that we, with Emi Buendia off the off the radar, with with Norwich playing shortly beforehand, I I I'm going to go for a two-one win for the Swans. Um, 
I, I yeah, I, I, that may be heart overruling head, but I, I think there is, there are few things in our favour here, and and if we can do that, I mean, you know, that would be massive because Brentford are pretty relentless at the moment. That you know, we, we're having to win every single game just to, you know, just to keep them at the same same points gap, really. Um, it would be good if we could bring Norwich back into the uh, back into that battle for the top two because as as things stand, they look to be running away with it. They need to start losing points a bit more regularly for us to catch up with them. I mean, whatever happens, it's it's an absolutely massive game, um, and yeah, we it's it's one which we hope the Swans can get at least a draw out of. Who knows? Maybe even a win. Um, well, we'll be recording another podcast after uh, that match, uh, which will be going out before the big FA Cup clash against Manchester City. Looking ahead to that, can the Swans get revenge um, for what happened two years ago in the FA Cup quarterfinal? And we'll also, of course, be analysing that massive match against Norwich. Hopefully three points for the Swans. We'll just have to wait and see. Until then, thank you very much for joining us. Goodbye.